From the Sammamish Independent, I'm Julia Gudis, your host, and you're listening to Indie On Air. It's Monday, February 8th, and this week I'm joined by Sarah Stoud as we interview one of the most controversial figures in Sammamish, Robert Monster, who is the CEO of Epic, a domain registrar and web hosting company. With last month's Capitol Hill riot and the banning of the social media platform Parler by major tech providers, it was Epic that registered the Parler domain and gave it a new lease on life. Parler is used by many right-wing extremists who coordinated the attack on the U.S. Capitol through the platform. We invited Mr. Monster to the podcast to talk about why his company has provided services to so many controversial websites, such as Parler, Gab, and Infowars what drives his belief system, and his views on the political environment today. This is an episode you don't want to miss. And breaking news tonight, the deadly siege on Congress as an angry pro-Trump mob storms the U.S. Capitol. We've seen shocking images of chaos, rioters rushing past barricades and police up the Capitol steps, forcing their way inside. A new social media app has caught the attention of some high-profile conservative figures, including members of the Trump campaign. The app called Parler or Parlay uh, currently hosts 100,000 users. Parlay or Parler is one of several alternative social media platforms that cater to the far right. So join- and new tonight, social media companies are cracking down on posts that promote violence. Parler, the app that has become popular among many supporters of President Trump, has been cut off. Apple and Google removed Parler from their app stores for failing to moderate content. Epic is a domain registrar based in Sammamish. Today, they confirmed that Parler transferred its domain to Epic. Hey, Sarish. So what have been your thoughts on social media lately? It seems like everyone has an opinion about what's wrong with social media, but there's a lot of disagreement on how it should be fixed. What do you mean by that? Well, the recent attack on the U.S. Capitol by Trump supporters, which then resulted in the banning of Donald Trump's Twitter account, has been circulating the media. Some see this as the right move to combat misinformation and incitement of violence, but others view it as a violation of Trump's right to free speech. You know, I've actually seen this debate happening in multiple other instances, and I definitely think it also raises the question of how much the federal government should regulate social media platforms. Totally. The Capitol Hill riot was a national story, but Sammamish also got a little bit of that media spotlight, mostly because of a locally based company called Epic. Oh right, yeah, I've been seeing Epic in the news, which is surprising considering that it's a local private company. After the controversial social media platform Parler was dropped by Amazon and removed from the Apple and Google app stores, its domain was transferred to Epic. Wait, wasn't that the website that was used to plan the Trump rally and attack on the U.S. Capitol? Yeah, it was, and the accusations about Parler don't stop there. There have been numerous complaints that Parler is hosting racist and right-wing extremists without any moderation, and that this is a risk to public safety, which makes us think, to what extent should free speech apply to social media? Yeah, and so it was definitely a big surprise when I opened up my newsfeed one day and saw the headline that a company in Sammamish 
register the parlor domain, and we immediately wanted to find out why they did it. We brought Epic CEO Robert Monster, who is a Sammamish resident, as the guest for this episode. Mr. Monster has frequently touched controversy, as his company has done business with many other sites that are tied to right-wing extremism. His site has been described in the media as the domain registrar keeping extremist websites online. The Southern Poverty Law Center says Epic is cornering the market on websites where hate speech is thriving. The big question that we wanted to ask is, what really motivates Robert Monster to do this, despite all the negative publicity he is getting? Here's Mr. Monster speaking for himself. Tell us about where you grew up. Uh, so I was uh, born in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, my, my father uh, from the Netherlands, my mother also from the Netherlands, uh, and then moved to Philadelphia at the age of two. I uh, was raised there through my childhood. Every summer would go to the Netherlands. Uh, my, my mother's father had no sons. He had three daughters, uh, was a farmer, uh, and he had the aspiration that I would take over the family farm. But in the summertime, uh, already from around age six, um, was sent to the Netherlands and uh, worked alongside uh, farm workers, um, like like as if I was one of them. And so I had a fantastic and uh, interesting childhood, uh, being able to live across two cultures uh, in, in the US part of the time and in the Netherlands part of the time. So that's what it was like for me growing up. But I went to a public elementary school, uh, went to a Quaker high school, um, and then uh, ultimately uh, landed at, at Cornell. Uh, uh, where I did my undergraduate and my business school degree. Was your Christian faith a big part of your upbringing or did that come later? Well, that's kind of a funny story. Um, you know, uh, I certainly didn't grow up with a, a Christian faith. Um, it really was around the age 14. Uh, one summer uh, in the Netherlands, uh, I was taking uh, windsurfing lessons. Um, and um, I absolutely... Um, was smitten with uh, a fellow student. Um, uh, she just took my heart uh, right there on the water and I was madly in love uh, uh, from that moment. And really uh, for the next three years, uh, we uh, corresponded, uh, I in the US and uh, she in the, in the northern part of the Netherlands. And, and she, as it turns out, was Dutch reformed. Um, and so kind of part of the deal when it came to having a dating relationship with her was that you also learned a little bit about God and about Christian faith. So that's how I became introduced to uh, Christianity, but it certainly uh, didn't dominate my life uh, uh, through my adult years. Uh, that actually came later. Do you approach the way you do business based off of your beliefs? Uh, to, to a significant extent, I do. I approach uh, the work that we do at Epic um, with a servant's heart. Um, and it was actually in the summer of 2018 that I asked the Lord to give me two things, um, to have a servant's heart and the ability to love everybody and judge nobody. And I believe those two uh, petitions were granted uh, and that equipped me to do the thing that uh, we get to do right now. And in fact, uh, one of the essential tenets of how we operate as a company uh, is treating everybody that comes into our path with compassion and humility. Let's say the example um, of, a, of a prisoner, somebody who has uh, been imprisoned or been uh, otherwise adjudicated as being unfit for society. They're put away for a while. And you can treat that person uh, as a criminal for the rest of their lives. Uh, or you can hold out the possibility 
that this person has a higher self and appeal to their higher self. And lo and behold, what I have found is if you treat somebody as a criminal, they'll manifest their criminal. Uh, if you treat somebody uh, in the character of their higher self, more often than not, you'll see their higher self. And so to a large extent, people are amazed how much Epic gets done. Uh, we are an, really an incredibly productive company. We get so much done uh, and we do it with relatively a uh, smaller footprint and smaller team and less capital than should even be possible uh, for a company of our size. And I believe part of the reason why we are able to do that is because we do have faith in our fellow man and we walk the talk. So Epic has been described as the protector of lawful free speech. So can you describe what that exactly means from a business perspective? Well, the term lawful free speech is a little bit incomplete. Um, so we tend to say that we support lawful free speech, but that doesn't mean that anything goes. There are people who show up sometimes as a client when in fact they haven't been vetted, believing that they're going to get safe harbor. But in reality, what we have done is we said, okay, we'll provide a platform that allows certain types of content that might be oppressed elsewhere uh, to find safe harbor. But that doesn't mean that it comes without strings attached. We do have the opportunity to get to know the people who come to our platform, to vet them, uh, in some cases even engage them in a way that you might characterize as rehabilitation. Uh, but the end result is that uh, people who uh, wish to come to our platform and engage in what some would refer to as hate, you know, we don't stand for that. Uh, we are not a safe harbor for people who have hate in their hearts. And one of the great blessings that I have enjoyed uh, is getting to know uh, who is the person behind the project and to be able to learn, uh, do they in fact uh, harbor hate in their hearts? Are they a force for good? Uh, or are they a menace to society where they are in fact not accountable to themselves, let alone to others? Um, you mentioned that Epic is completely against harboring any type of hate within your company. Uh, so why is it important for you that Epic is willing to work with uh, controversial sites such as Gab, uh, Parler, Infowars, or any domain like that? Well, so certain sites uh, that have held the line, if you will, on lawful free speech uh, have the not so fun job of curating what's allowed and what's not, what's not allowed. Um, Gab was summarily dismissed by GoDaddy in 2018. And when they approached us about the possibility of would we assist them, I got to know the founder and CEO of uh, that site, uh, Edu Torba, and came to the conclusion that he was on a journey, uh, that he intended to be a force for good. And I actually uh, assisted him in coming back online, even participated in their community because of the, of the role that I felt I had to play in uh, providing what you might characterize as a sort of adult supervision and just holding people to a standard where they were accountable uh, for what is produced on that community. And uh, as for Parler, uh, what many people are not aware uh, is that um, they arrived without warning or announcement uh, on the night of uh, January 10th, early in the morning on the January 11th of this year, um, because with registrars, if you know the authorization code of your domain name and it's unlocked, you can move it to any accredited registrar and we are an accredited registrar. And so when the time came for a uh, parlor in particular to show up uh, after they were abruptly deplatformed, um, they uh, did so really without uh, prior 
discussion, and so we've barely gotten to know them at that point, uh, had no prior interaction with any of their management, and were only tangentially aware that, even, that they even existed. I wasn't a user of their platform, for example. So going off of these controversial sites, in the past, you have refused to do business with 8chan. So where do you draw the line when it comes to providing services to other websites and domains? Well, really, it comes down to the intent of management. Um, is it coming from a, a place of, of love and empowerment? Is it a, or is it coming from a place of uh, hate and polarization? Uh, we don't really believe that it is in humanity's interest that we are perpetually polarized into these um, uh, uh, dichotomous views that get rubbed up against each other in order to create animosity and conflict. I think the last four years um, have been characterized uh, by a lot of that. And many of us uh, would like to be done with the chapter of acrimony that has been allowed to uh, swell up uh, in this country and really around the world. So when it came to HN, they, they showed up in the dark and come Monday morning, the media was trumpeting that uh, Epic was become, had become the registrar and was providing safe harbor to HN. When once again, we hadn't even spoken with them. We didn't know anything about them. And we had to make a relatively quick decision about would we or would we not provide them with safe harbor. Um, we chose within less than 48 hours uh, to force them to move their website off of our platform. And actually, uh, we were never their host. We were only their registrar. And in the meantime, the media had taken that ball and run with it, implying that we were going to provide safe harbor for HN. But that was never really a decision that we had taken at that point. We'll be right back. India on Air is a podcast that complements the new digital newspaper, The Sammamish Independent which provides community news that you can use right here in the city of Sammamish, Washington. The Sammamish Independent is brought to you by a team of students and community leaders who are passionate about keeping our neighbors informed of what's going on in our community. Check out the paper at SammamishIndependent.com. Welcome back. We continue the conversation with Robert Monster, CEO of Epic, on what truly motivates Epic's approach to business and his views on the political and tech environment today. You touched a little bit on this earlier, but um, since this has uh, happened to hit the headlines so much, uh, what is your current relationship with Parler? So uh, Parler uh, showed up um, as a registrar client on uh, the early Monday morning of the 11th. Um, and ironically, we had posted a letter uh, earlier in the day um, indicating that um, we were not the registrar, uh, but providing some framework for uh, why uh, parlor type sites might deserve to exist. We had no contact with management. Uh, they paid $8.49 to move their .com from their current provider uh, to Epic. Uh, and that's the extent of our commercial relationship with parlor. Uh, I believe they're trying to figure out a way to come back online, though their requirements are quite vast. They need about 500 observers and uh, quite a lot of the technology that they were using was proprietary to their prior vendor uh, that requires significant retooling. So we don't know uh, if and when uh, they'll be able to come back online. And we're still getting to know their management team. Uh, so I don't necessarily have an opinion about whether or not Parler 2.0 
deserves to see, to see the light of day. Uh, I think that they have a significant amount of work to do, particularly around how they handle moderation. To what extent do you think uh, moderation is necessary, as you mentioned earlier with uh, Parler? I think it's critical uh, because when you have user-generated content, the technology allows everyone to participate. Now, some of the different technology that is being used to power, let's say, uh, comment moderation could in fact be used in such a way that it ultimately controls the narrative. So let's suppose, for example, you are on a site um, and an article touches your heart and you feel inspired to write a lengthy comment and you do research about it and it's really a, a power, a power uh, a comment that you have made, right? One where you are just proud of the findings and you're wishing to share it with the world and you post it and it says awaiting moderation and you didn't save a copy. You had no idea that maybe your comment would disappear, but lo and behold, it disappeared. Now, how would that make you feel as a participant in civil society where your intentions were all positive and benevolent, where your comment is not seen because somebody who doesn't know you and can't see you uh, decided that your comment did not deserve to see the light of day. And unfortunately, because of the way we have allowed technology to be subsumed by apparatus that don't necessarily have the ability to discern our hearts, uh, we can quickly fall into a trap whereby the technology determines the outcome because the narrative is driven by technology. Uh, that's a very scary thought. And so where I think we have to go is to make sure that there's reasonable transparency in the process uh, in terms of who adjudicates what voices are allowed to exist on the internet and that people who are genuine misanthropes, people who actually genuinely have hate in their hearts, I agree, uh, don't give them the microphone. Not because they couldn't possibly have anything uh, good to say, but probably because the comments that they might make, they would regret later on when they became more enlightened. Uh, going on this path of a sort of awareness and regulation, there's a lot of current debate today about what role the federal government should be playing in regulating social media. So what role do you think that the government should play? Well, I think the federal government should be relatively hands off uh, when it comes to navigating the private sector. And here's why I think that, you know, the federal government doesn't know you, right? Uh, they may be able to gather a little bit of data about you and they may be able to come up with some, with some clever AI that can profile you and characterize you. But to the extent that you ultimately hand over all authority to a federal government uh, to determine which voices are allowed to be heard, you really are setting the stage for tyranny. And so uh, I believe that the founding fathers of our nation understood this, which is why they codified uh, a Bill of Rights, including the First Amendment. Uh, and they recognized that there were going to be certain voices that would be heard that would offend the sensibilities of other people. And they allowed for that, right? So if you want to live in America and call it America, then that's kind of part of the deal, right? Now, that doesn't mean that people aren't uh, accountable for what they have to say. People will evaluate the, the credibility and, and utility of what people say. So you have, let's say, a persona on the internet, uh, now give them the ability to uh, be weighed against their personas. One thing that I do think is useful is the idea of verified identity on the internet. I do believe we're coming to a point in, in the history of this fantastic thing called the internet where we are not necessarily going to be able to go uh, through the internet with complete um, 
uh, anonymity, right? That, that you would essentially be able to do um, flyby, drive-by uh, posting of comments with no accountability for what you said. But uh, there can be communities where they say, well, uh, we're not going to disclose the identity of who this individual is, but we as the curator of this platform, we know who they are. So if there's a problem, uh, we'll be able to get a hold of them or uh, bring it to the attention of law enforcement and so forth and so on. Uh, so what is your overall opinion on the media's coverage of Epic? Well, I, I, it's, to me, it's a little bit of a mystery uh, why the media was so quick to judge. You know, it, it didn't really make sense that there would be this uh, notion of a immediate uh, effort to kind of conclude that Epic was not a force for good. I absolutely am confident uh, that we are a force for good. But I believe that little by little, uh, the media is waking up to this notion that they got it wrong. Uh, many of them were relying on false testimony from the Southern Poverty Law Center. I invite you to go to the website SPLC List 2020. It catalogs all of the sites that are uh, identified by the SPLC uh, as being on the hate watch. Uh, Epic has uh, very few of them. And the reality is that we apply a much greater level of discernment in determining who gets to be on our platform and far more energy in rehabilitating those who we think might be lost. And so the, the idea that Epic is some type of villain, um, I believe uh, was just a false characterization. And to what extent the media ultimately makes amends uh, for its false characterization, uh, we'll see how that plays out. But I am optimistic that once again, by appealing to their higher selves, we can, we can shift to a more positive conversation where Epic is viewed as an example of how do you thread the needle of compromise whereby you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and we still can have the opportunity to learn from each other in civil discourse. Following up on that last question, on the day that news outlets reported Sammamish-based Epic had registered the parlor domain, the city of Sammamish made a rather well-timed public statement against hate. How did that make you feel? Well, I've lived in Sammamish now since 2003. I have actually had some interaction with the city, um, most specifically being an advocate for the idea that there should be more efforts around empowering entrepreneurship, that there should be a greater uh, investment on the part of the community in um, uh, producing environments that are conducive to incubating new startups. The facility that has now been occupied by the Central Washington University that sits in between the campus of Skyline and the campus of Eastlake is an example of a perfect facility that could be used to promote uh, entrepreneurship. And so when I saw uh, the city of Sammamish make a statement without really much in the way of investigation as to what they were commenting upon, I was actually kind of disappointed. I, I really think that the city got it wrong uh, by uh, participating instantly, uh, literally on the 11th of January as the news was completely fresh. But I also recognized that to a significant extent, we operate in an environment where social media has been weaponized. And our own investigation has identified uh, many, many dozens of uh, false social media personas that have been used in a weaponized manner to be able to brigade people to do things that they wouldn't normally do, but presented with the facts that they were given, they did the thing that was rational in their own minds. And that was to call the city and tell them that, that uh, to get rid of this company called Epic, to deplatform, dehumanize uh, a company that actually is a force for good. So what would you say to the viewers of your company that see a common trend of hate speech on the internet domains that you support? 
Well, I mean, uh, we're all a work in progress, um, and Epic included, but also uh, our clients. Um, and I would say that we have a very strong uh, abuse uh, handling department. Uh, we process those emails every day. And in fact, I see every abuse report. Uh, I'm a hands-on guy. I'll process thousands, more than a thousand emails every day. Uh, working to automate more and more of our processes so that we can scale uh, without dependence on nearly as much of the email crush as we currently have. But at the end of the day, I have my hand on the pulse. Uh, I do care. Uh, the people from the community who have reached out to me privately, I have stayed up late uh, to, to get in touch with them, uh, to make myself available. Uh, and uh, you know, those who wish to get in touch with me, to have a conversation about uh, why we allow this, that, or the other, or to give suggestions on how certain parties in the, in the world could do things a little bit better. Uh, I'm very accessible. Uh, my email is robertepic, R-O-B at E-P-I-K dot com. Uh, if you do email me, I will do my best to get back to you uh, within a day or so. Uh, and for those who even uh, like to meet face to face, we do have also a happy willingness to get together and to uh, do things in a, in a, how you say, uh, six foot separated uh, mode with NASP. Here's what else you need to know this week. The city of Sammamish is seeking applicants to fill the vacancy of city council position one. As stated, this is a temporary appointment, which will expire upon certification of the November 2021 general election. Interested residents must apply by 5 p.m. February 24th. The city of Sammamish has recently joined the Issaquah Vaccine Community Partnership, which is working on a plan to deliver vaccines to our community. As the city is waiting for a sufficient vaccine supply, the partnership is meeting regularly to coordinate possible vaccine distribution sites, funding needed to support these efforts, and plans for volunteer recruitment. Lastly, Sammamish's annual Lunar New Year celebration is going to be held virtually from February 12th to February 16th. This five-day event will celebrate the Year of the Ox, with daily videos featuring performances, history, crafts, and prizes. This episode of Indie on Air was produced by Julia Gudis, Sarah Stoud, Mehek Sate, Aditi Alkunchwar, and Lin Yang. Our theme music was created by Ben Allwright. Special thanks to Robert Monster for taking the time to talk to us. And that's this week's episode of Indie on Air. Don't forget to join us in three weeks for another episode. Until then, I'm Julia Gudis. Stay safe, and I'll see you next time.